Scott has already read for us Acts chapter 8 and verses 35 through 39, but I'm going to ask you, if you will, to go ahead and turn into your Bibles and find this particular passage. Although I have it on the screen at this time, it's going to go away in just a moment, but I want you to have it in front of you so you'll have the opportunity to reference it as we go through our lesson today. But once again, for emphasis sake, to really reinforce this passage in our minds, and so we'll be able to use it properly in our lesson today, I want us to once again look at this passage, and I will read it for you, and you can follow along on the screen, or you can look in your Bibles. But the text says, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture, and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water, And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hindereth me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thy heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord called away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. This morning I want to talk to you about the beauty of baptism. The beauty of baptism. Now I realize that the word beauty is a word that's kind of overused today, and and we apply it to so many different things that sometimes it loses its impact. But I've heard people exclaim in the past when someone has responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ and have made the good confession that the eunuch made here in the text, and they allow someone to plunge them into the watery grave of baptism, I've heard people say before, well, you know, that was just such a beautiful thing to behold. Now, I'm not sure what they mean when they say that for sure, but I don't think that they're actually talking about Um, the physical act in and of itself. In fact, there have been some times when I've baptized some people, it was not that pretty at all because there was some thrashing and some people getting wet and it just didn't always look that nice. But the thing that needed to be done was done. But what I think they're referring to is not the physical act, but they're talking about the significance behind it. When someone responds to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and is baptized for the remission of their sins, it is a beautiful thing because it is the significance that is behind it. And so what I want us to do today is think about, the, uh, think about baptism and how beautiful it is and, and make some points using Acts chapter 8, verses 35 through 39 as kind of the background of how beautiful baptism really is. And so we'll take up your time very long this morning. At the same time, these are going to be some things that perhaps you already uh, know about. But yet, from time to time, we need to have some lessons that reinforce the knowledge that uh, we already have. Uh, We have been blessed in this congregation in the past uh, year that we've had several baptisms. And we're very, very thankful for that. And there may be some, even today, who are considering uh, responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and, and becoming a Christian by being baptized in the watery grave of baptism. Uh, let me make sure that you do not delay that, if that is the possibility. Uh, make sure...
First of all, that you understand the commitment that is involved. Uh, Make sure you understand that you know what you are doing before you make that commitment. But at the same time, once you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, once you repent of your past sins, once you are willing to start living for Jesus Christ, do not delay, do not put it off. Become a Christian, be baptized as soon as possible. In fact, as we read through the book of Acts, we understand and appreciate the fact that when someone made the decision that they needed to become a Christian, there was no putting it off. It was not something that was set off for a special day. It wasn't to wait until a group of people were ready and do it all at one time. But instead, once a person was convicted of their sins and was convinced that Jesus Christ died on the cross and was willing to confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, they immediately put on Christ in baptism. Over in Acts chapter 2, as Peter told that crowd there that they needed to repent and be baptized for their mission of their sins. In verse 38, verse 41 says, And they that gladly received his word were then baptized. They did not put it off. Over in Acts chapter 16, where we have the story of the Philippian jailer, once, Peter pre- uh, once Paul preached unto him about Jesus, it says in verse 33, And at the same hour of the night... He and his household were baptized. When Ananias came to Saul, who would later become the Apostle Paul, and convinced him that he needed to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you remember what he said in Acts 22 and verse 16. He says, And now why tarriest thou? Don't put it off. This is something you don't save for later. Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And even in our text today, The eunuch was being taught the gospel of Jesus Christ and as soon as he became convicted that Jesus was the Son of God, what did he tell Philip? He said, see, here is water. What doth hindereth me to be baptized? In other words, he understood that this is something that needed to be done right away. It didn't need to be put off. So today, if you are considering becoming a Christian, uh, if you need to talk to me about it or need to talk to one of the elders about it, please Spend some time talking to us about it. But if you are convicted and ready to confess and ready to commit, then we hope that you won't delay any longer, but you'll respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But for those of us who are Christians, let's spend some time thinking about how beautiful baptism really is. Baptism is beautiful because of the one who requires it. The one who requires it. I know sometimes when we have visitors here and they hear me up here preaching or they hear somebody else up here proclaiming the gospel and maybe during the scope of the lesson as we have done today, uh, there's a lot of emphasis on baptism and how that a person needs to be baptized. And maybe sometimes the visitors get the idea that this is something that I just came up with, that's something that I require as the preacher of this congregation. Or maybe they think, because I'm speaking for this congregation, that this is something that just the congregation itself uh, requires, and that if you want to be a part of this uh, church, then you better do what we say, and you better be baptized. But folks, that's not the one, I'm not the one who requires it. Uh, This church that meets here, the eldership here, the leadership here, is not the ones who require it. 
The one who requires it is Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice our text today that when eunuch and when the eunuch and, the Phil, and Philip got together and they began talking, and, and the eunuch pointed to the passage there in Isaiah chapter 53 and said, is this talking about some other man uh, uh, or this, is he talking about himself? The text says, and Philip began to preach unto him Jesus. What was the discussion they had in the chariot as they were riding along? They were talking about Jesus, and I'm sure they talked about his life, uh, talked about his miraculous birth, talked about his ministry, talked about his miracles, talked about how he even fulfilled the prophecy there in Isaiah 53, and how he died on the cross to save us from our sins. But what was the ultimate outcome when Philip talked to him about Jesus? Somewhere in that discussion, the eunuch learned enough even though it's not verbalized, even though it's not written in the text, the eunuch learned enough that after Philip preached unto him Jesus, without Philip even asking, the eunuch said, See, here is water, what doth hindereth me to be baptized? He understood it was Jesus Christ whom Philip was talking about that commanded that if a person wanted to be saved, he needed to be baptized. Mark 16, 16, Jesus says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. John chapter 3 and verse 5, Jesus told Nicodemus, Except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. It was the same Jesus in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19 that tells us that the apostles were to go out and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. What makes baptism beautiful is the one who requires it, and the one who requires it is Jesus Christ. Why is that beautiful? Well, it's beautiful because if you think about how it was Jesus Christ who was willing to leave heaven and come to this earth, and live as a man, and leave all that power, leave all that glory, leave all the riches of heaven, and come and become a servant to mankind. And he did that out of love, and he did that out of every single thing just for me, and just for you, so that we could spend eternity together with him. When you think about the fact that it was Jesus who was willing to walk that lonely road to Calvary, was willing to be beaten and mocked, was willing to have that crown of thorns put upon his head, was willing to have the nails driven into his hands and feet, was willing to take on his shoulders on the cross the entire sins of the world. He is the one who wants you to be baptized. There's a song we sometimes sing, sometimes as an invitation song, sometimes as a song around the Lord's table, where we hear the haunting refrain, I gave, I gave myself for thee. What hast thou given unto me? In other words, the one who requires us to be baptized is is one who has given his all for us. And it is that one that says that we need to be baptized if we're going to be saved. 
Baptism is beautiful because we are responding to the command of the Messiah. We are responding to the command of Jesus Christ. We are responding to the command of the one who gave it all so that we can have it all. And so every time we see someone placed underneath this watery grave and they're buried with Jesus Christ in baptism and they rise to walk in newness of life, we see a beautiful picture painted before us because of the one who gave that command. And speaking of picture, baptism is beautiful because of the picture it shows. Someone said a long time ago, I don't know who said it first, it wasn't me, but a picture paints a thousand words. And if there's ever something that paints a thousand words, a picture that paints a thousand words, it's, it's baptism. It's a beautiful picture it paints because of what it paints. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 3, Paul gives us the gospel in a nutshell. He basically tells us what the core components of the gospel is. Uh, When we preach the gospel, we preach all kinds of different parts of it, but Paul says in its simplest form, in, in a nutshell, what the gospel really is, where it all begins and what it's all about, he says, this is what it is. He says, the gospel is the death burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. When someone responds to the gospel, they're responding to uh, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as you break that down, you understand that, that Jesus Christ died for our sins. Jesus Christ was buried in a tomb, but because of who he is, he did not stay there. And he rose again a third day. And because of that, not only did he defeat sin at the cross, but he defeated death at his resurrection. And now he's at the right hand of God making intercession for us. That's the gospel. That's the good news. You don't have to be dead in your sins. You don't have to be dead forever. But because of what Jesus Christ has done, the good news of the gospel, he died, he was buried, and he rose again the third day. Folks, that's what makes baptism so beautiful. Every single time a person responds to the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and allows someone to assist them in baptism, they paint a beautiful picture of the gospel. And we don't have to guess that this is what's going on because Paul very clearly tells us in Romans chapter 6 and verse 4 that when we are baptized, we are copying, if you will, or emulating uh, what Jesus Christ did for us in the gospel. We'll come back to that ver- those verses in just a moment, but make sure we understand what we're talking about, because in Romans chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, the apostle Paul says that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form or that pattern or that similitude or that model You were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from your heart that form of doctrine which I have delivered unto you. And now you have become the servants of righteousness. What in the world are you talking about, Paul? Well, you have to look a few verses earlier. 
where he told us what he was talking about when he said, and I'm paraphrasing here in Romans chapter three, or Romans chapter six, beginning at verse four. He's saying that when we are baptized, we are copying the death of Jesus Christ. We are copying him being buried in the tomb, and then we're rising to walk in newness of life, copying what he had done. In other words, there's a picture that's being painted here. When a person obeys the good news, Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again the third day. When a person obeys that, they're coming up here to the baptistry, and they're standing before us and saying, I'm putting to death my sins. The old man's going to go away. He's dying. And then they allow someone to completely immerse them in the water and bury them under that water. And then they rise up out of that water to walk in newness of life. In other words, every single time a person comes up here, we have a beautiful picture of someone doing the same thing that Jesus Christ did for them. They died, they are buried, and they rise to walk in newness of life. And here's what we learn from the text that we have before us this morning. In order for the picture to be complete, in order for it to actually be something that shows us the gospel of Jesus Christ, then that person needs to be buried. You notice in the text, it talks about in verse 38 how that they went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and how that Philip then baptized the eunuch, and then they both came up out of the water. It's not like I read in one commentary where somebody was trying to push forth a denominational idea, and they said that when the eunuch said, see here is water, he was holding up a jug of water, and he was going to pour that jug over the eunuch's head. No, the text is very clear. There was a purpose in them going down into the water and coming up out of the water. A burial is not a sprinkling. A burial is not a pouring of water on your head because if you do it that way, then all of a sudden you've totally discounted the beautiful picture of baptism. The beautiful picture of how that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. And how that when... We become Christians. We die to that old man of sin. We are buried in the watery grave of baptism and we rise to walk in newness of life. So many in the denominational world get it wrong. They say that we die to the old man of sin. We begin to walk in newness of life and then later on because of an outward sign of an inward faith or because we need to join a church, They get into the process of painting a picture for us that's a very ugly picture. And that is they take a resurrected person and they bury him in a grave. You don't bury a resurrected person. You only bury a dead person. It ruins and violates the whole beautiful picture that baptism brings. Philip and the eunuch both went down down into the water because that's the only way you can show this picture that paints a thousand words. When we partake of the Lord's Supper and we partake of those emblems, uh, there should be a picture in our mind that forms of the death of Jesus Christ. And we remember how he died for us. But folks, anytime you have the opportunity to witness someone being baptized, a picture should form in your mind of someone dying on a cross, someone being buried in a tomb, and someone rising again the third day because that person is painting the same picture in their response to the death, burial, 
and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But baptism is also beautiful because of the beautiful joy that follows. You notice verse 39 of our text today. It talks about how that after the eunuch was baptized, that Philip was called away. He went his direction. The eunuch went his direction. But it's very clear that whatever direction the eunuch was heading in, he was heading in that way, rejoicing. Here was a man who was so happy. Here was a man that was rejoicing. Why? Because he had been baptized. Because he had responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In my over 30 years of preaching, I've had so many opportunities to witness this joy that people experience. I've heard people shout. I've seen people cry. I've seen people hug one another and jump up and down. I've seen so many people that just simply rejoice because baptism is such a wonderful thing. Now, those of you who have never been baptized, or maybe you can't think back long enough to the time when you were, but what happens at baptism is beautiful because for the first time in your life, you don't have to carry that guilt anymore. That guilt's gone that you have been carrying on your shoulders your entire life. Uh, You don't have to uh, wonder about, am I going to hell any longer? You know, because you have done what God wants you to do and have obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you have the promise of eternal life. You know that you have made the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. And as we come out of that watery grave and and we dry off and we start meeting people and they can see the joy in our face, one thing that I oftentimes notice is I can see a burden removed because I know I've done what God wants me to do. I know I've done what Jesus Christ wants me to do. And because of what I've done, I've taken care of something that I could never have done for myself. And I just have my sins removed. Which brings us to our last point, and that is baptism is beautiful because of the cleansing that it brings, the cleansing that it brings. When I was thinking about the different ways that baptism is beautiful, of course, the one that first stuck out of my mind was the fact that it's such a beautiful picture of what Jesus did for us. But then as I think about that, I started thinking about the result of it. I started thinking about, well, as far as I'm concerned, what's the most beautiful thing about it? What is the most beautiful thing to me? And I had to come to the conclusion that it's the cleansing that it brings. Over in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5, the Apostle John talks about Jesus Christ and how that Uh, He is our Savior, and the reason why He's our Savior, because we, as He puts it, we have been washed from our sins in His blood. We've been washed from our sins in His blood. Well, when Ananias talked to Saul, who would later become the Apostle Paul, 
And he told him what he needed to do to be saved. Notice the parallel here in Acts 22 and verse 16 when he says, And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. You notice what has happened here? He says, you need to have your sins washed away. They're washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ, Revelation 1.5. Well, where does this happen? Well, Ananias tells Saul, he says, Why tarriest thou, arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Well, John says it's in the blood, and Ananias says it's in the water. What's going on here? Well, first of all, we understand and appreciate the fact that there's no power in the, in the water. Peter reminds us in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 that baptism does also save us, but it's not the putting the way of the filth of the flesh, but it's the answer of a good conscience toward God. In other words, the cleansing doesn't come in the water. There's no magical power in the water. But instead, it's our response in obedience to God. And then Romans chapter 6 and verse 3 tells us for as many of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ have been baptized into his death. In other words, we come in contact with the blood of Jesus Christ when we obey his command to be baptized and we do it in the prescribed way that mimics or patterns after his death, burial, and resurrection. There's where we come in contact with the blood as Revelation 1.5 Tells us, and that's why Ananias, when there was a man who so desperately wanted to be saved, a man who had been praying and fasting for many days, a man who firmly believed in Jesus Christ, he saw his resurrected body on the road to Damascus, a man who still needed to do something in order to have his sins washed away. And that is, and now why tarriest thou arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. It's the same thing that happened when the very first gospel sermon was preached there in Acts chapter 2. You remember Peter came to the conclusion of his lesson when the rest of the apostles who were preaching to that great crowd there there that day. Peter told him, he says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made this same Jesus whom ye crucified, both Lord and Christ. The text tells us that when they heard this, the people who are listening to this lesson heard this, they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They were convicted they were lost. They were convicted that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. They knew that there there was something they needed to do in response. And so Peter told them in verse 38 that they needed to repent and be baptized for the remission or removal of their sins. See, in order to have our sins removed, in order to have our sins cleansed, we need to be baptized. Not because I say it, not because people in this congregation may say it, but as we saw at the very beginning of this lesson, the Lord says it. You know, oftentimes as we go through this life, we feel like we're pretty good people. We're not as bad as some other people. Oh, yeah, we've got some mistakes in our life, and I'm not everything I need to be, but I'm not as bad as that person over there. And I'm certainly not as bad as that person over there. I'm really a pretty good person. But, folks, if you've never been baptized for the remission of your sins, if you've never been baptized to have your sins cleansed away, you're lost. 
I was thinking about this earlier this week, and for some reason it popped in my head something that happened to me when I was in school, and, and maybe this still goes on, I don't know, I have not heard the grandkids say anything about it, and I don't remember my kids going through this, but in order to promote good dental health when I was a young person, a dentist would come by and visit our classroom. And he would first of all give everybody free toothbrushes and give us some free toothpaste. And then he'd have each one of us go into the bathroom and brush our teeth just the best we can. And he would tell us, this is what you do. And how he would make sure to tell us how to clean our teeth properly. And then afterwards, he would give each one of us this little bitty tablet. I don't know if you remember that or not. And he said, let this tablet dissolve in your mouth. And then after that tablet dissolved in our mouth, he said, now go look in the mirror. And there'd be stain all over our teeth. And he'd say, you didn't brush your teeth very well, did you? You need to clean your teeth again. And folks, when we look at Jesus Christ and, and we think about his perfect life, we have no right, there's no way possible we can even compare to that. We have been stained with our sins. And the only way we're going to have them washed away is in the beautiful cleansing of baptism. You may go to a motel or a hotel, maybe even a very expensive hotel, and the person who's in charge of cleaning that room may have cleaned it very nicely, but I guarantee you if you will pull out a black light and start scanning that across the room, you're going to realize what a nasty room you're in. I think... Austin got one of those just to prove to Lee that the house was not clean, but that's a different story. My point is this, until you have come in contact with the blood of Jesus Christ, you are not saved. And even if you have one spot on your garment, you are going to be lost. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27 reminds us that for many of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ have put on Christ. The Greek in the text there is, I've put on a new outfit. We've taken off this old soiled outfit, this dirty outfit, this outfit that's blotted with sin, and put on a new and clean suit. And his name is Jesus Christ. Baptism is beautiful because of the one who requires it. Baptism is beautiful because of the beautiful picture that it paints. Baptism is beautiful because of the fact that it it gives us such great, great joy. And baptism is beautiful because of the cleansing that takes place. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, we hope that we have said enough this morning to convince you and convict you that you, like the Ethiopian eunuch, are ready to confess right now in front of this assembly this morning I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And I'll tell you what the eunuch said. The eunuch said, see, here is water. Folks, there's water here today. What doth hindereth you from being baptized? If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you're willing to repent of your sins and confess His name, do not put it off any longer. In fact, to borrow the words of Ananias to Saul, and now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. We hope that you'll respond as together we stand and sing.